Hey guys, welcome back to Recalibrate, a mindset podcast designed to help you break free from old mindsets, paradigms, mental constructs, spiritual strongholds, (laughs) whatever it is. While pressing on, of course, to the new, I want to thank you if you are a returning subscriber. Thank you for your time. If you are new to this podcast, I hope that you get more than you expected. And thank you for connecting with us to listen, to learn, and to grow. I recently had a conversation with a good friend of mine, Dr. Glenn Schultz, who happens to be the author of Kingdom Education, a book that I have enjoyed reading and rereading several times. I've incorporated a lot of the principles that are highlighted in the book uh, into my own educational practice. Dr. Schultz has been involved in education more years than I've been alive. So there's a lot of knowledge, a great depth of knowledge. And uh, we were talking about his time at Sherwood uh, Christian Academy in Albany, Georgia. Sherwood Christian Academy is uh, famous for producing four movies, uh, Facing the Giants, Flywheel, Courageous, and one of my favorites, Fireproof. They're actually they're actually all really good. I would highly recommend. Now, if any of you listening today, uh, if you've ever seen Facing the Giants, which takes place at a school and is about a football team, it's a great movie, great theme, uh, you'll remember the school. The school was called Shiloh. Nevertheless, it was uh, filmed at Sherwood Christian Academy. They were the ones who produced the movie. And uh, as I was talking to Dr. Schultz about his experience, you know, during the time that he was working at the school and, uh, and they were filming that movie at the same time, uh, he showed me a, a picture of uh, the lobby, one of the main lobbies of the school. And it's an area where everyone, you know, at some point in time walks through, especially parents. And there's a big inscription on one of the walls, big, bold, black letters for everyone to see. It's very evident. And uh, the inscription says this. It says, whoever wants the next generation the most will get them. Let me say that again. Whoever wants the next generation, the next generation, the most will get them. Who is the next generation? I don't know about you, but you probably know that I have two boys. One is 29, the other one's eight years old. Yes, they're 21-year difference. I know, I know. (laughs) But then I have two grandkids. I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old. So the next generation, guess what, is my eight-year-old and my two grandkids. And so whoever wants them the most is going to get them. Whoever speaks the loudest is going to get their attention. Little by little, I, I mean, we see the philosophies of the world. You've probably noticed, unless you've been living in a cave somewhere as a hermit, <laughs> you've probably noticed. You've noticed all the things that are going on in our nation. Everything has flip-flopped. It has switched. It has shifted completely. You know, ethical and moral standards are gone. You know, what is, what is being taught or what is is intended to be taught to children is to capture their minds. I mean, what just happened recently, and I won't get political, please. I mean, I won't, in all honesty, that's not the goal. This is not what the podcast is about. But, but let me tell you, what just happened in Virginia? The gubernatorial race is for, for governor, of course. You had one that was running for governor, and, uh, and what happened to him? There was a tipping point. He said something, although he had a lot of supporters, there's something that he said that ruined his opportunity of becoming governor. 
He said at a town hall meeting, basically, and I'm paraphrasing, that parents had no business meddling with their children's education. He basically said that the education of their children was in the hands of the government. And guess what? That was a tipping point, and he lost. And you know what? (laughs) I'll tell you, I'm happy he did. Because anyone who goes in with that kind of mindset regarding the molding and shaping of the minds of children is messed up. You can't take away what God has given the parents, and that is the responsibility to train up children, their children, their own children, in the way that they should go so that when they're older, they won't depart from it. That is a a basic biblical principle. The education of children is in the hands of the parents and the parents alone. And they, they should be quick to choose where they send their children to get their formal education. And that's why you see a lot of families these days have been homeschooling. I mean, you know that uh, I'm the head of school of a Christian academy in South Texas. And guess what? We have been positively impacted by all the philosophies that are being introduced into the public school system. And let me back up a little bit. The secular education system. I don't want to ever sound like I'm harping on or beating up on the uh, public school system. That, that's not my goal. Some of you are public school teachers that are listening. I honor and respect you for what you do. It must be hard to be in a, a secular environment and have to teach uh, material that at times goes against your own uh, biblical worldview. It, it must be difficult because you have to cover certain objectives and certain standards. It must be hard. My heart goes out to you. I pray that uh, you would be a light that even without necessarily speaking the gospel because you're not allowed to, that children would see Christ in you and through you. I recall a story of a young lady who was a freshman at Georgia Tech. True story. She was at Georgia Tech, freshman class. The dean of studies was there to address the new class, welcome them. And this young lady who happened to be a strong and very firm believer in Christ, she had a lot of questions for the dean. And at one point, the dean stopped her and said, young lady, young lady, you are not here to ask questions. You are here to listen and to learn. Your parents have indoctrinated you for 18 years, and we only have four years to undo the damage that they have caused. True story. Sad, but true. I'm reminded of what uh, Paul would write to the Colossians, chapter 2, verse 8. He says, Be sure that no one leads you away with false and empty teaching that is only human, which comes from the ruling spirits of this world and not from Christ. In whichever direction you look, you're going to run into false teachings and empty philosophies. More than ever before. I don't think that I've ever experienced in my uh, close to 50 years of life I don't think that I've ever experienced a time in my life where there were so many empty philosophies, so many false teachings being taught as aggressively as they are. A local charter school recently introduced a novel for the eighth grade class that speaks of critical race theory and transgenderism. 
I mean, it's no longer a subliminal message. It's not. It is in your face, wherever you look, whatever you tune into, it's there. And the more that you repeat something, the more it will become your reality. Listen, I, you've probably heard the metaphor of the, uh, the frog in the boiling hot water. If you take a frog and you stick it inside of a pot with water and you place it on the stove and the water is lukewarm, if you stick the frog in there, the frog will be very comfortable. He will swim and uh, relax in the water. And as you gradually turn on the heat and increase it over time, gradually, as the temperature increases, the frog simply becomes used to the temperature. It does not, it is not startled, it doesn't jump out, because the heat has been increased gradually over time, eventually getting to its boiling point. And the frog at that point doesn't realize that it is in a pot of hot, boiling water and eventually dies. Now, if you take a pot of boiling water and you toss a frog into it, the frog is going to jump right out of it. (laughs) It won't, it'll take it a fraction of a second It'll react and instinctively jump out of the pot to salvage its life. You see the difference? You see, when we are introduced to empty philosophies and false teachings, and we allow our children to be exposed to these things because it's just a little bit, it's not going to hurt them. That's what we tell ourselves. Let them watch that video. Let them hear that music. Let them, let them uh, fellowship with that group of, of individuals. It's just a little bit. It's not going to hurt them. Well, gradually over time, the heat is increased. And before you know it, they're in boiling water and they haven't realized it. However, if you teach your children this next generation, if you teach them from a biblical worldview, in other words, you teach them the Word of God, and the Word of God becomes almost like a pair of glasses through which they see the world and everything that they experience, then they will jump right out of that boiling water. They will know the difference between an empty philosophy and a false teaching. They will know the difference because they will start to see it through the lens of God's Word. The more that you repeat something, not only to a child, but to any individual, regardless of their age, eventually they will believe it. Eventually it will become their reality. And so, as we look in all directions, we see the same philosophies repeated over and over and over until it becomes someone's reality. Keep in mind, I've shared this with you before. Here goes your little nugget of psychology. Keep in mind that we have the conscious part of our mind and we have the subconscious part of our mind. The subconscious part of our mind is what is influenced by subliminal messaging. 
The subconscious part of our mind is what processes so much more bits of information. I mean, thousands more bits of information than our conscious mind does. Right now, you are listening to me through your conscious mind. But your subconscious mind, if you're driving, (laughs) which I hope you're paying attention to what you're doing, but your, your subconscious mind is what takes you from point A to point B, and you sometimes don't even realize how you got there. That's exactly what it's like. So your subconscious mind is picking up or on, on picking up on all the uh, peripheral activity. In other words, things that you can't see, your subconscious mind is picking up. And so the more you repeat something and you don't rebuke it, you don't you you, you don't oppose it. Your subconscious mind is going to take it as a reality. You know, I share this a lot. I tell people that come into my office at times that are struggling because they're in a, perhaps an abusive relationship or within their relationship, there are moments in time when there is verbal abuse. You know, they are verbally uh, attacked by, by their spouse or sometimes by their own adult children. And so they come to me and they say, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, what do you do when you are attacked verbally? Of course, you don't ever want someone to remain in a relationship where they are being abused. You know, uh, if it's physical abuse, I always say, you know, call 911. <laughs> Obviously, don't call me, call the cops. That's the first thing you need to do. If there is uh, emotional abuse, verbal abuse, then you have to uh, seek counseling, therapy. And the other person should do the same. And if that doesn't change, then, you know, a different approach needs to be taken. Uh, A decision needs to be made. But I won't get into all of that. That's more of a marriage counseling podcast. But the reason I'm sharing this is because when people come to me and they say, well, you know, my, my, my significant other keeps on calling me, let's pick a word, idiot, keeps on calling me an idiot. And so now every time he does that, you know, I feel inadequate I feel stupid. I feel depressed and sad and belittled. And, and, I, and I ask the question, well, what do you do when your, your significant other calls you an idiot? And, and usually they'll say nothing. I, I don't say anything at all. I just, I, I don't want to cause a problem. I don't want to get into a fight. I, I, I don't want the kids to hear me. I don't want them to be, I don't want him to be upset. All of these excuses are justifications. And I say, well, if you don't see anything, well, then your subconscious mind is accepting every little bit of information that it's being fed into your mind. So if he's calling you an idiot on a, on a uh, daily basis, I said, I'll give you 30 days before you start looking in the mirror and looking at yourself and thinking, boy, what an idiot. So what do you do? That's the question, right? That's the question. What do you do? Well, what do you do is what you do is simply say something like, well, I'm sorry you feel that way. She said, what do you mean? I said, yes, if if he continues to call you an idiot every time, you'd simply say, I'm sorry you feel that way. What are you doing simply by saying those words is that you're not accepting those words as your own reality. You're not taking ownership. You're not taking possession of those words. You're saying, I'm sorry that you feel that way because I don't feel that way by myself. Especially if you know the Word of God, you can always go to the Word of God and recite it. I'm sorry you feel that way, but that's not what God says about me because God calls me His child. He calls me fearfully and wonderfully made, the apple of His eye, heir and joint heir with Jesus Christ. That's who I am. So I'm sorry you feel that way. 
So how does that relate to what is going on in the world today? Well, if we don't refute it, if we don't rebuke it, if we don't uh, uh, oppose it, it becomes our reality. I mean, lately in the past 18 months, I have seen multiple, multiple young uh, men and women who have come into my office seeking therapy for issues related to anxiety and depression, when in all reality, they have come in because they have gender confusion or gender dysphoria. They simply don't know. They are young men, but they're not sure of their masculinity or they're young women and they're not sure they want to be women. I mean, that's what we're dealing with today. We have a growing population of women in the high school grades that are calling themselves by curious. In other words, yes, they like guys, but they would also like to have an experience with a woman. That's what's going in our world today. If we if we look, uh, I think that every day they're adding one more gender to the list. There's about 142 so far. Yes, 142. I had a doctor that came to speak to our middle school students, and I and I asked him in front of all of the students. I said to him, "Hey, doc," I said, "as a pediatrician, how many different genders do you see in your office?" And he looked at me quite startled, and he said, "Well." <laughs> The only two that exist, male and female. And I said, right on. You're totally right. Male and female. There's not 142. So what I'm saying is that this is a lie that's being fed to our next generation. And our next generation, if they don't have the proper filter through which through which they can see these empty philosophies and teachings that are being fed to them, if they're not able to discern them and to filter them, then they will accept them as their own reality, and that will warp the rest of their lives. My friend, it starts in the home. It continues in the church, and it solidifies with their education at school. And so, let's be very clear. If you are... If you are a parent of a child between the ages of 1 and 15, and you truly are a believer in Christ, and you want what's best for them, you want to raise solid young men and women that will excel in all areas of life because they know biblical principles, if that's what you want, you have no business putting them in secular education. Zero. No business at all. Listen, I'm passionate about this topic, very passionate, because I see lives being lost. I see families being divided because of all these empty philosophies. You have no business sending your child to a secular educational system if you truly believe in the word of God that says that we are to teach them the word from the moment that they wake up to the moment they go to bed. Can I ask you a question? I want you to think about this. How many hours do you spend with your children each day? And and I mean effective hours, not just not in passing, but I mean, do you sit down and have a conversation with them? Do you talk to them about important topics? Do you listen to their hearts? Do you listen to their questions? Do you guide them? 
Keep in mind that you can't give what you don't have. Teach what you don't know or guide someone to a place that you've never been to before. Let, let me share a little bit of information with you that might open your eyes. Do you know that between the ages of 5 and 18, a child will spend an average of 750 hours at church? That's in a 13-year span, by the way. 13-year span, 750 hours at church. However, if they go to church twice a week, Wednesdays and Sundays per se, they'll spend a total of 1,500 hours at church in a 13-year span. Okay, you got that? Now listen, how many hours do you think that they spend at school during that same 13-year span? How many hours? I'll tell you how many hours. 16,000 hours. 16,000 hours at school, 1,500 hours at church. Now get ready for this. (laughs) How many hours do you think they spend on social media between the ages of 5 and and 18 to 13 year span? They will spend a total of 15,000 hours. Yes, almost the same as they spend at school. Keep in mind, that's about eight hours a day. Eight hours a day. So the big question is, how many hours do they spend with you? How many hours do they spend with you? Let me read a verse to you from Luke 640. This is what he says. The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. So I guess the great big question for you right now is, who is teaching your child? And do you know that teacher's worldview? Like, do you know what they believe in? Do you know what their perspective is on certain very important facts, ideas, philosophies? I mean, do you know that? Why would you send a child to a school if they're going to be taught something that is completely contrary to what you believe in? Something that you would believe to be a lie, for instance, if they are taught that there are multiple genders and you know that that is, number one, scientifically wrong and biblically incorrect. It's almost like sending a kid to a school knowing that they're teaching him that two plus two equals five, that gravity is just an idea And that Hitler conquered the United States. I mean, would you? And speaking of Hitler, (laughs) speaking of Hitler, Hitler kept on uh, telling his people, if we manage to control the textbooks and the information in the textbooks, we will be able to drive the whole culture and change it. Absolutely true. You know, everyone knows... That education is the avenue. It is the vehicle through which you change a culture. In an organization, in a company, culture drives the organization. Culture is their mission statement, their vision statement, and their core values. It's what they believe in. It's what they stand for. That's their culture. There's a big movement right now in companies. I just, I just recently spoke at DHR Health, 
to all of their constituents, their board members, their all the physicians, and the whole topic revolved around cultural change. And so I shared with them some uh, key strategies and important facts that need to be considered in order to change the culture. We said that you need three elements, disciplined people, disciplined thoughts, and disciplined action. Well, just as culture drives an organization, worldview drives an individual. And worldview is something that starts in the mind and is developed within the heart of man, and that drives them. Solomon said, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Another translation says, where the mind goes, the man follows. Your heart drives you in certain directions, and that's why Proverbs goes on to say, above all else, guard your heart because it determines the course of your life. Listen, your children do not have the capacity to guard their hearts. That's why they have you, (laughs) mom and dad, grandparents. There's an African proverb that says that it takes a village to raise a child, and it's totally true. Mom, dad, grandparents, church, and school all come together. It's like a stool with three legs. You remove one of the legs, it's going to fall. It's going to be lopsided and collapse. Everyone comes together to educate that child. And therefore, you have to be jealous about who you are allowing to speak into the life of your child. You know, Gandhi once said, never let anyone with dirty feet walk through your mind. And so, why would you let someone with dirty feet walk through the mind of your child and then expect him to not become like teacher? <laughs> That's ludicrous. Remember that the student, after being trained, will eventually become like the teacher. If you're not careful... The philosophies that are being taught in our world today will form thought processes, ways of thinking, patterns, paradigms, mental constructs, and visualizations that will form over time and slowly induce children to believe something that is not true, whether it be about themselves or about God or others. Look, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but let me tell you, the enemy is real. The devil is real. Just as God is real, so is the devil. And if you dismiss that truth, you're in trouble. You're going to get a run for your money, my friend. And so are your kids. You need to understand that the enemy is real. And he, he exists for three reasons. Or he wants to accomplish three different things. He wants to steal. He wants to kill. And he wants to destroy and, and he's been studying you since day one. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your temptations. He knows that about you. And so you've got to rise up as a parent and be stronger. You've got to continue to learn. You've got to grow in the word. You've got to be fully clothed in the armor of God. You can't pass down to your children something that you've never possessed yourself. French literary Charles Baudelaire, he said that one of the artifices of Satan is to induce men to believe that he does not exist. 
Another, perhaps equally fatal, he says, is to convince them that he is obliged to stand quietly by and not to meddle with them if they get into true silence. (laughs) So true. Listen, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he did not exist. Years ago, an elder from the church and I would go to a halfway house and meet with uh, former inmates. These were uh, men that were in a transition home, a halfway house. They had just gotten out of jail. They had been in jail for months or years. They had committed crimes, of course. And they were in a home to transition into the world, into the workforce. And so they were given about six months to stay in that house. Now, the house was not a nice-looking one. Um, the couches and the furniture were all dingy. The, the place was run down, and we would go on Sundays in the evening, and we would take chocolate cake, <laughs> homemade chocolate cake, and a nice chest full of icy Dr. Peppers. <laughs> yes, we're in Texas. And so they loved it. Of course, they would show up simply because we had cake and Dr. Pepper. Now, they had to stay through the whole... Uh, lesson that we would teach. They had to stay through the class, which lasted about an hour and a half. And I would uh, talk to them and ask them questions. And uh, these were men that had all committed some heinous crimes, some more than others. Nevertheless, uh, they were there all together trying to transition. Some were in their early 20s. Others were in their late 60s. And I would ask them all three questions. Every time we had a new group of men that would come in the room, I would ask them, who was your greatest influence? Like, who made the biggest difference in your life, whether it was good or bad? And all of them chose to uh, share who had caused the most damage, who had been the worst influence in their lives, and they all agreed that it had been their father. Then I would ask them to describe their father using one qualifying adjective. I would say, pick a word that describes your father, and they would ask me, can we use more than one word, and can we use... Uh, cuss words. And of course, I would say, well, if that's what you choose, go ahead and do so. I kid you not. As I sat there and heard these men talk about their dads and use these qualifying adjectives to describe them, my heart broke into a thousand pieces. To think that they hadn't had the same opportunity I had had growing up in a home where I was loved by my father and my mother. I was respected by them also. I was treated fairly. I was embraced And to this day, my parents, almost 80 years of age almost, and still I have that same great relationship with them. To think that these men did not have a shot at that type of relationship was heartbreaking. And so I would have to hold back the tears as they spoke about their father. And lastly, the last question I would ask them. Now, this is the powerful one. Listen, I would ask them, did your father ever tell you that you would end up in prison someday? And all of them, without skipping a beat, said, yes, he did. In other words, that philosophy, that idea that the father repeated to their son over and over and over went from being an idea to being a seed that was planted in the heart. And every time the father repeated that over and over, he was watering the seed which eventually over time became a plant and gave fruit. That is a metaphor to describe what happens 
when we use specific words or ideas and they're planted in the minds and hearts of our children, they grow up and those words become prophetic. They go from being a word to becoming a reality. Listen, words that are repeated over time, that are repeated to our children, doesn't matter if it's coming from you or from someone else, but it's repeated over time, becomes a pattern. And that thing starts to solidify itself in the minds of our children and they become a thought. And that thought over time becomes a consideration and that consideration develops into an attitude, into an attitude which then you question yourself and say, why is my child acting this way? Why are they having giving me attitude? Well, that consideration became an attitude which led to action. That attitude became an action. And that action, when it was repeated over time, became a habit. And that habit established a power base for the enemy to operate from and take down the life of that individual. It all happens that way. Just like it did to these men that were incarcerated, that ended up in prison. I believe, I believe with my whole heart that if the father had changed his phraseology, if the father had changed his ideologies, his philosophies, if he had changed his words, the outcome of that child would have been a different one. In the Bible, we see how God uh, changes names. You know, an example is Abram and Sarai. You know, they were older people at the point when God came into their lives. And, uh, you know, you know, probably know the story. They hadn't had any kids. You know, she was barren, so she couldn't have children. Plus, she was already old. And so there was Abram and Sarai. And God comes along and he says, and I'm paraphrasing, he says, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Like, I'm going to give you a lot of kids. You guys are going to have lots of kids and, uh, and you're going to be prosperous and so on and so forth. And of course, you know, they kind of, uh, they laughed. Sarai laughed and it's like, you know, probably thought, you know, it's impossible. Look at me. I'm an old woman. You're an old man. We've never been able to, much less now. And so God had to come in and change their names. And so God changed Abram to Abraham, which means father of many nations. And Sarai, he changed her name to Sarah, which means princess. Now, keep in mind, she was older. He was older. And so now when he went into town, people no longer called him Abram. They called him father of many nations. I mean, that completely changed his whole perspective, his mindset. He elevated his faith. Sarai went to being Sarah, and so she was no longer the old lady who lived in the village. (laughs) She was the princess. And so when she went into market, into town, everybody was calling her, hey, princess, how are you? All of her friends, you know, all of a sudden they changed her name. And so can you imagine that? Can you imagine what that did for that woman? I mean, an older person, now she's being called princess. It changed her whole perspective. Now, of course, God did the miracle, right? You know the story. Eventually, you know, they did. She got pregnant, and uh, Abraham and Sarah had Isaac, and, uh, and, and so you know the story. And so I want you to understand that God changes uh, people's names for that reason. You know, it's almost like to change their mindset, to change their whole outcome, to change the course of their life, their whole direction. And, and the world right now is trying to do exactly that. I want you to understand that. The world is trying to do exactly that. The enemy is operating through, through the, uh, the philosophies of this world. And what they're trying to do is change your child's name. They're trying to change the name of the next generation. They're trying to change their name. <laughs> they're even trying to change their gender. I mean, come on. They are planting these ideas in their minds that that say, hey, if you if if you don't feel like you know you're a boy and you are a boy, you can choose to be a girl, no problem. You know there are certain states right now in the United States that are ex- accepting 
13-year-olds to go in, and 13-year-old girls, and have uh, their breasts removed because they think or feel like boys. And guess what? The parents can't do anything about it because in that state, it's been, it's been, uh, it's part of the law that they can't say anything. And if they do anything about it, it's considered child abuse. And CPS can come in and remove their children from their home and lose custody. It's outrageous. Now, I understand that CPS is there for a reason, and there are instances, come on, I know this firsthand, I raised 14 foster kids that came from highly dysfunctional abusive homes. That's when CPS needs to step in, but when a parent is safeguarding the mental health of their child and trying to get them help, and that is translated into child abuse, that's insanity. That's crazy beyond crazy. And so just think about the things that are happening in our world today. And so the world is trying to change their name, and we have to make sure that we don't allow that to happen. With all this being said, of course, this is my rant for the day. (laughs) I just preached the message earlier today, and I thought to myself, I've got to create or I've got to record this new episode because I'm, I'm just passionate about this. Parents, guard your kid's heart. Guard their hearts. No one else is going to do it as as well as you can. No one else is going to do it. The world surely won't do it. The world wants to change their name, and it's your job, your responsibility, that they would find their worth in the Lord, that they would find their identity in the Lord, and that they would find God's will for their lives and see it come to fruition. Parents, that's your job. That's all you've got. I hope and pray that when you go before the Lord, that he will say to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Can I pray for you right now? Look, I want you to know that this episode was not intended to judge you or criticize you, but simply to bring conviction to your heart. I pray that the Holy Spirit would work in you. Perhaps you're thinking, I've done a lousy job at parenting. Well, let me tell you that you can always rise up and start fresh. You can still be an influence, a godly and very positive influence in the lives of your children. It's never too late. It's never too late to go and to embrace them and to say, my son, my daughter, please forgive me for not having been there. Please forgive me for the things that I've said and the things that I've done. Embrace your child and start off afresh and brand new. Seek the Lord. Ask Him to search your heart, to put your thoughts to the test, and to show you if there's anything inside of you that needs to be taken care of. Repent. Accept His forgiveness for your life. Renew your mind and resist the enemy as you submit completely to the Lord. I pray right now. Father, I pray for everyone listening today. You know where they're coming from. You know where they've been. You know the mistakes that they've made, Father, and a lot of them are tied to their own childhood, to the way that they were raised, the way that they were loved or not loved. Some of them perhaps have endured abuse. And Lord, it just seems to to come out when they're in times of frustration and desperation. I pray, Lord, that you would heal their hearts, that they would become the moms and dads that you've called them to be, the grandparents that you've called them to be. Lord, I pray for them. I pray for their hearts to be healed, for their minds to be transformed, and for their impact 
to be great on their children's lives. I pray, Lord, that you would give them wisdom, courage, strength, and discernment. All of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, there you go. That's it for today. That's today's episode. I hope that uh, it was profitable. I hope that it was worth your time, that you were able to glean from it, to learn from it, and uh, eventually grow from it. Don't hesitate to reach out if you have any questions. Uh, DM me over Instagram. Uh, Be sure to follow me on Instagram. Uh, Follow my YouTube channel as well. Uh, That's a great way to connect. If you have a few minutes at the end of this announcement, would you please uh, rate this podcast with a five-star rating, of course. And I think that uh, if you stayed all the way through the 30-plus minutes this episode lasted, it's because you liked it. So I'm assuming we'll get a five-star rating. (laughs) So don't forget to do that. And also leave a positive message. That always helps. It helps other people read what you have to say and become interested in the podcast. If you've benefited from it, be sure to share it with other people. We truly appreciate your following. Don't forget to reach out if you have any questions or comments. Would love to hear from you. You guys have a blessed rest of the day. Love you guys in Christ.